ICU to a regular room again, so we see continual improvement. We're expecting great things to happen. Hallelujah. Well, here we go. Amen. God's doing wonderful things, and we thank Him for all that He's done for us. I want to thank you for standing with us and by us in prayer in all of these times and how the Lord has um, brought us through safely thus far. You know, these are um, been uh, some difficult moments, but what's important at the moment is what's really important right now. This is probably the most important thing. I, I think I'll just preach without my coat on. Amen. And, uh, but the, you know, what is really important right now is that I conduct myself as a man of faith, as a son of God advancing with the name of that is above all names, amen. So um, that name is Jesus Christ. Now, let me just tell you, my, my job is not to blow the waters of the Red Sea's back, but my job is to speak and go forward, amen. Whether she continues to live here or changes dimensions, my faith is unmovable. It's resting firmly on a divine promise. Now, you know, I've been around the block a few times, and I've witnessed a man who was brain dead for 36 hours come back to life, restored to health, and lived to preach again. And I'll tell you, I, I was not prepared that day when I saw Ron Spencer burned in the burn unit and having laid there now for days. But I acted as a priest before God, and I interceded. And I acted as a king, and I took dominion. And God is still God. And I want to remind you, we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, today I'm here to sling stones. That's why I've come to the pulpit this morning. I come to turn loose the name of Jesus. There's no holding back today or ever. And the for the battle is the Lord's. We cannot lose, we are the winners. Brother Edith um, Wilson of South Africa, who's listening in, shared this with me this morning. What was it? He had five stones and a slingshot. Look, F-A-I-T-H-N-J-E-S-U-S. Here he comes, something's fixing to happen because there's the word, the promise, and the power to sling it. That's what we need today is a man that'll take God's word with the power of the Holy Ghost behind him to press it out there and watch it come to pass. That's God's army. Amen. His word of fire, his army is well, uh, all dressed with the ever presence of himself in there going with us. I'll go with you, be in you, not you that speaketh, the Father that dwelleth in you, he doeth the works. 
In his army, he presents his army in the form of five offices, first apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists. That's his army. That's his soldiers. That's his commanding officers, all with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, waiting out there to meet the enemy on any grounds he come upon to meet the enemy with the Word of God. Amen. Each one backing one another up. And I want to thank you for your backing. You've encouraged me. And I want to thank you for the many phone calls, texts, and words of encouragement to me and the family. Each one backing one another up with him, the chief captain. Listen now. Not out there in front or up here or above or back behind, but in us. That's the army vindicating, vindicating what? His resurrection by the proof of his works. Amen. That's to take on the whole arm of God. God bless you. Brother Edith, thank you for that word of encouragement today you shared with us. God bless you, saints. Let's talk to the Lord now. Father, we're your children having gathered together in your name. And we want to thank you for your many blessings to us and for the grace of God that surpasses all understanding, that peace you give us in the midst of storms. And oh yes, Lord, we've had some scary times, but in those scary times when we seemed dumped out and floundering, you were just teaching us how to fly. And we're eagles, Lord. We, we got our wings now. We feel the air of the Holy Spirit under our wings and the anointing that is here upon us. And Lord, we are declaring your righteousness and your holiness and your power to save and deliver. And we thank you for what you're doing and expecting to exceed it abundantly above that which we're able to think or ask. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12, and we're going to read from the seventh verse again. This has been a theme scripture here in the last few services Um, in particular that I am in battle as we are the church of Jesus Christ are in battle. And this, of course, is a rapture scripture. So actually, in many ways, we are right here in these verses, these passages of scripture. Brother Branham would tell us in in the seals, I think it's the first and the third seal, that um, he mentions it twice, that, that here when Satan is cast down, the bride goes up. So you can see and place ourselves right here, and we're in the very middle of this war right now. Now, freedom has been declared, right? The Declaration of Independence was signed, um, you know, and then seven years later, they got to enjoy those freedoms. But it took seven years of battle. You know, we can make a declaration, but declaring, you know, freedom is not all of it. You have to then go and pursue and win the war. So we are here as the saints of God to win the war. And I'm reading you in the Bible that we will. It's already, we are predestinated not to fall. Amen. Now, Eve was made where she could fall, but with a new birth, you're made where you can't fall. Amen. We will overcome. Amen. By the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. Let's read from verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon fought in his angels. And 
Oh yeah, come on. You say it. Prevail not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out, and his angels were cast out with him. Now watch the redeemed saints who have been raptured shout out their victory in heaven, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. And the, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which has accused them before God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. So you can see he never shed a drop of blood for angels. So therefore, if this battle is won and we overcame by the blood, then this is us overcoming. So ultimately, angel, angelic battles become human battles. Now, therefore rejoice, you heavens, and ye that dwell in them, woe to the inhabitants of the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knoweth he hath but a short time. God bless you, you can be seated. Now, last Sunday we were speaking on um, uh, fighting yet seated because we, we are positioned in Christ in heavenly places. We want to carry that theme a little further, and I'm going to do some teaching preaching this morning so, because this will give you some basis to, to, to know your position, to know where you, are, where you stand, especially in this hour, because we are a people of the open book. And so as the people of the book, we uh, are the people of the land and the ever promise of God. Now, we are positioned with him as sons of God with, without blemish, with power and authority. Now, I want to say that this, this title of sonship is more than a title. It is a throne and a dominion. Now, Ephesians 2 and 1 says, And you hath he made alive, or quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin. And those who have been made alive with him, in verse 6, he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. That's the believer's position in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is showing us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and there he is far above every evil spirit and or every demon or every fallen angel or any evil spiritual being that exists. There is no name that is above his name that at the name of Jesus, every spirit demon has to bow to that. Now, now in a kingdom, being seated at the right hand of the king is the highest position that is available. There's no higher rank than to be seated with the king. Amen? There's no authority in existence that is higher than God. And being seated at his right hand is being a place of unmatched authority. Now, Jesus is in this place of authority at the Father's right hand. He is, he, Jesus has absolute, unconditional authority over all spirits. Now, this is why Brother Branham would, could stand there as a son of God claiming his sonship and say, I take dominion over every spirit. Amen. Amen? 
Now, we, we have been preaching using this scene of Revelation 12 because it ends, it pictures the end time battle where Satan is cast out as the accuser of the brethren. And already the court has decreed and the prophet has declared and declared that you are righteous and that you are sinless. In invisible union, Brother Brandon said you are standing complete, justified like you never did it in the first place. You are the pure, virtuous, sinless bride of the son of the living God. Every man and woman that's born of the spirit of God and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and believes every word of God stands as though you never sinned at the first place. Now, you know, and I know we sinned, right? Amen. And even the devil knows that you sin. And let me just say, God also knows what you've done in your past. But let me tell you, where you are justified is where you were in the first place, in his mind. Amen. Now, you're back exactly, the blood places you back exactly where you were in God's mind before sin ever entered the picture. Hallelujah. That positions you as a sinless, virtuous bride of Christ. Now, in the sight of God, the bride is justified. She never did it in the first place. In other words, nothing can be attributed to the predestinated seed of God. Now, standing there, we're married to the virtuous son of God, never sinned in the first place. Why? She was foreordained. She was trapped in this. Now, when she heard the truth and came forth, the blood cleansed her. Therefore, she stands virtuous. There's no sin on her at all. Hallelujah. The case against you is dismissed. You know why that is so? Because the judge himself became our attorney. And we have been born again, and there is no sin that can be attributed to our new birth. Amen. Now, not only are the claims against us individually been dismissed, I want to get this to you. Hold your thoughts, because we're rejoicing that you individually, amen, have been declared guiltless, right? Yet never did it in the first place. Now, you're not, you're not just simply justified. You did it, and, and, you know, and so you're forgiven. No, it's more than forgiven. Amen. It, it, you, the righteousness of God has been attributed to you. The righteousness that he thought of you before the world began has been attributed to you as a son or daughter of God. So you're more than just forgiven. Somebody, you know, wrote a bumper sticker, you know, that gives people permission to live in sin. You know, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. No, no. We're we're more than that. We are perfect in Christ. Without blemish, without a spot, without a wrinkle. He will present to himself a bride without spot, without a blemish, without a wrinkle. And how can he do that except the judge became our attorney? Hallelujah. And he's dismissed the case. Now, but not only is that, but I want to get to you the title deed that man lost in the beginning. The title deed to eternal life, the title deed to the earth. 
you know, have, uh, you know, there has been claims now against the bride of Christ. Now, that ha has been against her because, again, it all repeated. The first Eve, sin fell, man fell, and all this had to be redeemed. Amen. But follow me now just for a moment. Paul said that I fear like as, as, uh, as a serpent beguiled Eve, so you will be beguiled and, and taken from your virginity. You will lose that holiness and that virginity. And, and you look at it, and there is a whole group of them that becomes a whore in the book of Revelation. Is that right? Amen. So Paul knew this was coming. But I want you to remember now, when this began to happen, there again begins to be claims against the book. And it's sealed with seven seals. Now, it can't be taken just by anybody. It has to be taken by a man. And that has to be a worthy man. Are you with me? Now, so, but not only have the claims been against us individually have been dismissed, but the claims against the church of Jesus Christ that kept the church from being able to receive the title deed and go in the rapture has now been paid for by the blood of the Lamb and every claim, hallelujah, every claim, can I say, every misconstrued idea, every false doctrine, every misdeed, every misstep, down by the sages and reformers and down through the church ages. Every accusation has been answered and dealt with by the Lamb until finally there is a people on the earth that can say the prince of this world has come and he had no part in me. Hallelujah. Let redeem say so then. Now let's go back to John's testimony and see redemption unfold. John, in Revelation 5, you will note as, you, as we turn to look in verse 1 that he cannot even look at the book, much less take the book. He's not even worthy to look on it, much less take it. There again, he, you know, John representing all of us, you know, declares no man is worthy. And this made it hopeless for man to ever regain title to the title deed book of inheritance. Then there was a call for man and a man that was worthy. Now notice, I want you to understand, it would have to be a man. Revelation 5, 1, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? So again, in verse 3, it defines who they're looking for. No man was in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the book and look thereon. And I wept much because no man. So it's a man they're looking for. Someone who can intercede on the, on the behalf of the rest of us. Now, you know, I have to pay for my own sins so I couldn't intercede for you. 
I was born in sin like you are. Every prophet, every priest, every, every sage down through the Bible was in the same condition. Whether it, was, whether, it was, whether it was Moses or whether it was William Branham or whoever it was, they were everyone born sinners. Now, so you see, it, no man in heaven nor in earth was neither, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open, to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So notice he, he, he sees this. And of course, when we, when we look here in a, in a few moments, we'll see, and John saw to see the lion, and he saw a lamb. And we'll talk about that symbology here in a moment. But notice, notice here this book of, of title. This book of title contains man's rights to the earth and to eternal life, and it must be won legally. Now, I want you to say the word legally. All right, now keep that in mind. The book held in the hand of God is a legal document. The titles, the Old Covenant, New Covenant, they're all legal terms. And every step in the plan of redemption from the fall of man until Jesus Christ Christ was seated at the right hand of the majesty on high as our intercessor, and until he takes the legal document showing redemption is complete, everything is simply a series of legal steps. And finally, perfecting the most remarkable legal document document that the bride now has in her possession. I want, you to, I want you to understand, the one in the Bible here that no man could take till the Lamb came. Now we hold in our possession. Amen. And the bride holds in her possession that legal document. Are you with me? Now, the plan of redemption can't really be understood until you understand it from a legal point of view. In this plan of redemption, there are three parties in the contract. There is God and there is man. Those were the original parties. Then Satan came. Now, God must be just to himself. He must be just to man, and he must be just to the devil. He can't do anything illegal. He's got to move according to the law of his word. Now, we understand that God created man, placing him on the earth, and he conferred to him certain legal rights. So these rights, our first parents, we know, as I've been through it in past sermons, that they transferred those rights to Satan, which is God's enemy and our enemy. Now, this brings the devil into the plan. So now he must be dealt with. So the the whole scheme of redemption is God seeking to redeem the human race from Adam's sin and doing it upon an equitable basis that will perfectly satisfy the demands of justice. It must meet the needs of man and it must defeat Satan on legal grounds. Now, it must be, I want to emphasize it again, it must be done legally. The fall of man was a lawful act. 
Oh, yes, it was. You may not think so, but it was a lawful act. Adam had the legal right to transfer the authority and dominion that God had placed in his hands into the hands of another. Now, that gave Satan a legal right to live over man, to rule over man and, and over, over creation. Now, Satan called the kingdoms of the world his. I want you to watch this carefully. Luke chapter 4 and verse 5. The devil taking Jesus up to a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. And, and uh, the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. So he says, I have the, uh, the right, I have the power, I have dominion. It was given to me. Now, God didn't give it to him. Man gave it to him. And man became the slave to sin and the devil and to his works. Amen. Now, now then, the title to the earth and to man is now a contested title. You know, Satan... Has, he doesn't have a, a true right to take it. The earth wasn't made for him. There is even a question that, you know, that through deceit that this was conferred over to him. There is things that has to be discovered and settled in court. And so the contested title of deed is held in escrow by God Almighty until the time appointed. That's why Revelation chapter 4 shows the book in the hands of the Almighty God. And, and of course, Satan is the accuser saying, but he transferred it to me, and I have rights to squat upon it. You see, because by permission, he's allowed me to come, and they're mine, and they're my possession, and they're living even in, their, in the bodies that I have perverted, Amen, who are no longer immortal bodies, but mortal bodies. Are you with me now? Now, he cannot simply take man and the earth away by force. Jesus must do this legally. Man sold it, and to get it back, it must be paid for. Amen. Now, man sold himself out to the devil. He made himself a bond slave. And that slavery will last until the lease or the period of man's dominion expires. And God must in some way redeem fallen man from his sin and from Satan's dominion. He must do it in such a way that won't be unjust to Satan nor unjust to man. God must recognize man's treacherous act of transference of dominion. It was a legal act, and God has, has no right to annul it. It's a debt that has been made, and it must be paid, and he just can't annul the debt. It's got to be paid for. And he must show to Satan perfect justice in all points, and at the same time, he must reach man in his helplessness and redeem him. Now, in order to do this, it's going to be necessary that one come to the earth who is not subject to Satan. And yet a man, and, I, and yet he's got to be a man. He can't be almighty God. He can't be an angel. He's got to come down as a man. 
And as a man, he must meet every demand of justice against man. And in order to accomplish this, there must be an incarnation. Are you with me? He must be a child born of the word. He can't be born of sexual birth or he'll be birthed under Satan's dominion. Come on now. He's got to come by the way of virgin. This incarnate one must not be subject to Satan. Amen. Nor a subject of death. Amen. To this end, God sends a Holy Spirit to a virgin in Judea, and she conceives and bears a son. Now, this could not come through a sexual act. He had to be born of the spoken word. Come on, somebody. This son is born not of natural generation, but of supernatural generation. Jesus was not a subject of death, nor a subject of Satan. Let me just say this. You say, well, Jesus had to be made where he could die. Yes, he did. But he, he, listen, Satan could not take his life. He had to choose to die. He had to choose to go to Calvary. He didn't have to do none of this. He had no sins to pay for. Not of his own. Amen. Now, notice he, was, he has the same type of body that the first man, Adam, had before he sinned. Amen. Every step of the work that was accomplished by this incarnate word was based upon perfectly legal grounds. So the incarnate one, this one made flesh, met demands first. The first of the heart of deity for a perfect human who could do his will. Amen. 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 Now, you know, Moses, a great man, failed at the rock. Is that right? Exalted himself. All the other men, I mean, Elijah had to be called off the scene because you know, his heart grows faint. The world runs from Jezebel. He said, come on home, boy. I'm, I, you, it's time to anoint somebody else. You see, men, no matter how great they are, down through the ages, they were all born sinners, full of mistakes. But this incarnate one met the demands of the first of the heart of God for a perfect human that would do his will. And then finally, when Jesus came, finally hit a man that he could have complete preeminence in. Remember, I've been preaching uh, in the, in the sub-line, uh, bringing in, weaving in here, Christ the mystery of God revealed. Now, so first, you know, God reveals himself in Christ. He has complete preeminence in him, total obedience all the way to the cross. Yeah. Now, second, second now, he meets the demands he must meet the demand of fallen man in that as a man, he meets the devil and conquers him in an honorable open combat. Amen? Where that he is tempted in all points, yet without sin. Amen? Now remember, Jesus doesn't cheat. He doesn't use his God powers to defeat the devil with. He uses, come on, like every man does, he uses the word to defeat the devil with. He don't use his gift. He don't use his power. 
He uses the word to withstand the devil. Hallelujah. Amen. So because he must win the battle as a man, not as God, yet he is God. Now, being tempted in all points, yet without sin, he goes to the cross. Now, Satan, as I said, cannot kill him. He chooses to die. And God lays upon him the iniquity of the human race. He then, with this burden upon him and under the judgment of God, goes to hell like the scapegoat, and he suffers the penalty that has been demanded by justice. He rises from the dead and ascends to heaven as a man. We were dealing with that last week, remember? No man could ascend up to God. Adam at one time operated in that realm and brought heaven to the earth. Right? But now he is bound to sense knowledge. Men have become bound to sense knowledge. But this one came and this one said, I came from there and I'm going back there. He said, no man can ascend to heaven except he that came down from heaven. You say, well, Brother Tim, what about Elijah? What about, um, you know, he went into heaven. Enoch went into heaven. They went into, they went into the place of rest waiting for the blood to come. Are you with me now? Because the blood had to cleanse all sin. Now, so now I want you to understand, he goes to hell, he suffers the penalty that is demanded by justice. He rises from the dead, he ascends into heaven as a man. He came from there as a man to make a way back for man. He will go back through the powers of the, of the, the, of the wickedness above, come on now, that has veiled man from God, and he will break through that to make a highway, amen, to become the way for every man to ascend back into heaven where they can rule with power and authority. Now, again, he ascends, let me get it to you, as a man, he sits enthroned with the invisible God, the Holy Spirit. Listen, not as another deity, nor as another person of the Godhead but the visible body of the invisible God. And you read the Bible, when he ascended up, they all say from Mark 16 on and on that he ascended up and sat down on the right hand of the Father on high. Now, what was that? That we might have a man in glory that we can approach to, a brother like us, a priest that has went through what we've gone through, who has suffered as we suffered, who faced sin as we face it. Amen, so he could be a proper mediator that when you came, you did not approach a God that don't understand humanity, but a God who became human flesh. I don't know if I can contain myself. Now, he goes there and he begins intercession, waiting for the time 
when every name within the book has been manifested upon the earth. And notice its manifestation is in the form of a word, a message, your new name revealed, or your name revealed. We could even call it a new name in the sense that not your human name, but you understand who you were in God before the world began. Amen. So therefore, so therefore you see, um, uh, again, he begins intercession, waiting for the time when every name on the book has been manifested on the earth, and it's manifested not necessarily physically, all physically yet, but yet as a word, as a message that has been released, it is the word that spoke of you that has been released and thus manifested. And then he who did the purchasing work begins his claiming work. Are you with me? Now let's stop this for a minute, his work of redemption. He starts with the purchasing work, paying for our sin. He does this, his intercession work, which he has done for the past seven church ages and still is our intercessor today. But we're right here at the time where he has begun his claiming work. Now notice, just because he starts intercession don't mean he, he, his purchasing power is over and finished. It is purchased for every age. And every age enjoys the benefits of the purchasing. He is intercessor. Amen. And just because he starts his claiming work don't mean intercessory is over. He's still the high priest that ever liveth. Amen. To make intercession about our confession. Amen. As soon as we confess it's done, he goes to work to see it happen. Amen. So therefore, again, he begins to claim and work to claim the book and all the names that are in the book. Now, the final results of that claim and work will be even claiming the dead saints' bodies and resurrecting them and then claiming the bodies of the living saints, transforming them in a moment and a twinkling of an eye and then... <laughs> Amen. Amen. Claiming the entire body of believers from all the way. Now listen, the Old Testament saints has already been raised. Come on with me. Amen. Paradise was empty. The place of waiting was empty. Amen. They ascended on high with him. Not a one of them left behind. Not a one of them. Or the blood didn't have enough power. Well, some of them, you know, they died outside the promised land. That's only a type. If they listen to me now, amen, if because of Jeremiah's capture and taken down to, to wherever, uh, what's it, Egypt, that he was taken, he dies down there. Because of that, he misses the, the rapture in that day and he waits a, another time. No, amen, the blood of Jesus Christ atoned for Daniel down in Babylon that died there. Amen, the Hebrew children that died there, the saints that died there. Amen, even though that they were outside of the promised land, that's only a type. Are you with me? Amen, because in our type, everyone that's coming forth must be in Christ. They had a physical land they were to be in, that type that we must be in Christ. Are you with me? So paradise was emptied. Hallelujah, let me tell you, in this day, he has been
And it's all done legally. And then the next step, just in case you're wondering, we'll be coming back with him in Revelation 19 to take over the earth for the millennial reign of a thousand years. So in, in, um, so, so finally, finally then we come to the new heavens and the new earth. So all of this is all in God's plan of redemption that as he redeems man in three stages, he redeems the earth also. All right. Amen. I hope I didn't make you go to sleep. All right. So in Revelation 5 now, no man is worthy to take the book or to look on it until the man steps forth that is shown in that scripture. The book of Revelation is a symbolic scripture. Amen. So it's a symbolic book. So he's symbolized by the Lamb. Now, God didn't want you to be confused that there's two gods. So there's one sets on the throne, and then there's a Lamb. And this Lamb is not a second God, nor a third God, not just or another person from God. He is God now who becomes a man. He is supreme deity. Are you with me? He's no minor God. He's no junior God. He is the very God. I, mean, I know someone want to make in the message uh, this Jehovah's Witness doctrine of, of two lords. There is no such thing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. Are you with me? Amen. So don't get confused by, by the false teachers in the land today. Now, and now, but notice, no man is worthy to take the book or to look upon it until the man steps forth who has been symbolized there by the Lamb. Now, in Revelation 10, we're going to see the same book and the same person that was personified or symbolized as a Lamb, but here he comes from heaven, not as a man, but as a mighty angel. A messenger, but more than an angel, he comes as a messenger of the covenant for the rainbow representing the sevenfold covenant is upon his head and his countenance is like the sun for he is the light from the beginning. The Logos of God. Now let me, allow me a moment to explain about this angel. First, we have, right now, we are, we are people that are much different from most denominations today. We have a message from the presence of God that was administered by an angel. A lot of people get confused about angels and who they are and their purpose, so I'm just going to take just a moment to define this and, and then go on. You know, sermon is sometimes is like a climbing a tree. It has some limbs here, there, and you step on one to the other to get where you're going. Now, so the angel of God that appeared to Brother Branham was not him, neither was it his theophany. It was an angel sent from the presence of God. The angel didn't even look like Brother Branham. He was six foot tall, 200 pounds of olive complexion. The pillar of fire is also known as the angel of God. It is a light that veils Christ in spirit form as he appears now. He don't appear to us right now in a corporal body. 
uh, of a human being, one human being like Jesus, but he appears as the Holy Ghost. Now, again, it is the light that purifies the light that veils Christ in the spirit form to, to embody him, to make him visible to the prophetic eye. Now, I realize more than the prophets saw him, but it was, everybody who saw him didn't see him with a natural eye. Amen. It was, it was, they saw it, indeed saw it, but it was not a, a light that struck the eye. It was a light that struck their faith, which is, a, which is a sense greater than this. Now, the pillar of fire, as I said, veils Christ in spirit forms that appears now is different from the angel Brother Bradham described of six foot tall, 200 pounds. The pillar of fire is instead Jesus Christ. And it's him in spirit form. It's the veil that makes the invisible spirit where the supernatural eye by vision can see it. The six foot angel was not Jesus Christ, but it was one transported by the pillar of fire to bring messages from the presence of God. The pillar of fire is the same angel Lord that appeared to Moses in the burning bush that led the children of Israel out of Egypt. We are a church led by the pillar of fire. Amen. And of course, it led them to the promised land. That angel was none other than Jesus Christ in pre-incarnate form become before he became flesh. And so he's a messenger of the covenant and the form of Christ that appeared to Saul after his death, burial, and resurrection on the Damascus road. He said, I'm Jesus. Now, when the seals were open, we know there were seven angels in a cloud that appeared to Brother Branham, right? Seven angels that appeared. And as to the angels in the constellation of the seven that met him on Mount Sunset with a message that the seals were to be opened, they were not theophanies. It was not Brother Branham's theophany. They were not the messenger's theophanies. These were winged angels, and theophanies do not have wings. They are bodies that humans that are saved go to when they die. That's what a theophany is. Amen. It's only the predestinated that has theophanies. But but again, the theophany is what we bypass when we become flesh. So again, these seven angels were not seven theophanies. If you look, um, uh, if you look with me to 2 Corinthians 5 and 1, for we know that if our earthly house's tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So we know, again, that if our earthly temp, our tent, our physical body, which is our house is torn down through death. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands that's eternal in the heavens, right? So that's what a theophany is. But these were not seven theophanies. These were seven angels. Now, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, you find there are seven spirits before the throne. Are you with me? The Holy Spirit is one spirit, but can be revealed in seven manifestations. Is that right? These manifestations or portions of the Spirit are also known as anointings. 
Now, the Holy Spirit would, uh, would manifest himself seven times through seven earthly messengers during the Gentile dispensation of seven ages. Now, the reason that the seventh angel in the constellation stood out to Brother Branham more than the other was because it was his anointing. Amen? Now, it also, that angel also held the mystery of the seventh seal. And the seventh seal unlocks all the other seals by breaking the mysteries that were sealed up. Contrary to many the theologians today that think that when the seals is open, it, it begins a time of silence. No, it ends a time of silence. Seal up the things the seven thunders uttered and write them not. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, the silence will be broken. The mystery will be known. We'll know then what God said. All right? So the mysteries of the seven seals were written in the Bible as symbols. For example, a white horse, red horse, black horse, pale. They were written. We don't know what they mean. And man guessed at them through the ages. Theologians wrote books about them. No one could say definitively what they were for certain. But when the seventh seal was open, amen, the silence was broken, and the voice of God spoke out to a prophet, and what was previously sealed up voices of just noise. Amen. Noise like thunder became a known voice. And these, this known voice is the revelation contained in the seven seals. Now we know who the white horse, red, black, pale. We know who the souls on the altar was. We know the, the, the 144,000 who they were. We, we see all the positions and places and everything because why? The mystery's been revealed. The voice of God has spoken. Amen. All right. Now to reveal the seven thunders of Revelation 10, it would be the fullness of the Spirit of God coming down. It is not the physical coming of Christ. It's not a, not a big thousand-foot-tall angel like old Roberts um, saw Jesus as a thousand-foot, great big, you know, standing there, and he was to build a, 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 a hospital this tall. Or it's, it's nothing, nothing like that. It's not some big mighty angel with one foot on the land and one on the sea. You know, it, it's not a physical coming of Christ that you can see with the eye. But it's something so great and powerful, something so mighty. It's Christ in his full manifestation. And what is he doing? He's coming as his own messenger of the covenant to open the book and to deliver full title to our inheritance, to the earth, and the right to possess it. Go with me to Revelation 10, 1. Let's talk about this for a minute. And I saw another mighty angel. Amen. This is in opposition to Revelation 9 where Apollyon, an evil spirit, had risen up. Mighty demon over the earth. Amen. Bringing troubles and tribulation, you know, releasing spirits out of the Euphrates and calling, uh, calling more devils forth into this age, pouring right into this age. Amen. But now in opposition to that, we see another mighty angel. 
and he comes down from heaven. He's clothed with a cloud of rainbows upon his head. His face was as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open and he set his right foot on the sea and on his left on the earth. And all of this is symbolic. Nothing of this is literal. The land and the sea is where two beasts rises up. One's multitudes, kindred nations of people. One, that's the sea. The other's out of the land where there was no people and another beast power rises. America. A religious, a religious spirit rising up like a lamb but then begins to speak as a dragon. But I want you to know he's got his feet on both of them. Rome that came out of the the land or the sea, the multitude of people, Rome, and he's got there the image of the beast that rises up out of America. He got his feet on both of them, land and sea. Amen. And now notice he says here, He had in his hand a little book open. Now, in Revelation 5, it was sealed. Now, then we see in Revelation 10, it's open. Verse 8 says, The voice which I heard from heaven said unto me, Go and take the little book that is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book, verse 10. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand. Now, something has happened between Revelation 5 and 2 and Revelation 10 and 8. For John to be able to take the book now that he was unworthy to even look on and could not take until he was taken by the Lamb. Let's see it in Revelation 5 and 6. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. So a worthy man was found, and this worthy one took the book. But he didn't take it just for himself. But he comes down with the book. And when this happens, something happens to the elders when it is recognized that the lamb has taken the book of title. Look at verse 8. When he had taken the book, the four, and 20, four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Notice, here they are, the four, the four living creatures, the lion, the man, the ox, and the eagle. Right? Amen. Four different anointings to anoint us there to overcome the four horse riders. Amen. Amen. We will defeat, come on now, we'll defeat death, the last horse rider, by the eagle anointing. Hallelujah. An eagle don't have to worry about crossing the river. He just flies right over it. It's the only one that is designated as a flying eagle. It's a flying eagle. Amen. He did not say, oh, the lion flew or the the ox flew or or the the man flew. It said the eagle flew. It was a flying eagle. 
an anointing. They overcome by their anointing. The lion anointing in the first age with the boldness and, and the fearless faith of a lion. They overcame in the ox age, given their life as a sacrifice. How did they do that? They were anointed to do it. Amen. They anointed it. They were anointed in Luther Wesley's age under, under another anointing, the man age. With the intelligence of man, they made the Gutenberg press. They put the Bible out and got it in the common people. And with the intelligence of a man, they defeated the enemy. But you and I are under a prophetic anointing. Hallelujah. Amen. We fly where all things are possible. Hallelujah. If you can't believe in divine healing, how are you going to believe for a rapture? If we can't get the church to believe that miracles are to be here in our day, our hour, how are you going to get the church to believe in the miracle of a rapture? We're under that anointing. But I want you to notice these four beasts, these four living creatures, and four and 20 elders. There's 12 of the old and 12 of the new. So it represents the entire covenant of God working with his people. Is somebody with me? Amen. And what they do, they had golden vials full of odors which are prayers of the saints. If you notice in Revelation, under the seventh seal, these vials are prayers are poured out because they've been holding these prayers for his coming. Amen. The last prayer in the Bible was even so, come Lord Jesus. But it couldn't be fulfilled in that hour. But when the seventh seal is open, it brings the cycle of his coming. And the coming is initiated by calling a bride who will be raptured in this age. Hallelujah. And when they do, they pour out these prayers and they're mixed with incense and now ascend into glory. And God begins in that seventh seal of breaking the silence the silence of his coming, and he says, now you're in the last stage. The last time is, <laughs> amen, it's a rapture hour. There's not another generation coming after you. There's not another age to come. You've reached the end of the ages. Now it's time for me to reveal. It's the hour of my coming. And... They're redeemed by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, nation, people, amen, and has made us to our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign. Somebody look at somebody else and say, we shall reign. Hallelujah. He made us kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. Amen. Amen. That's what we're preaching on this morning, kings and priests. We have a right to be seated with him. The prince of this world can find nothing in us. Now, look at our present position where we stand now. This is where the bride is standing. This restores us back to the position that the early church held before it's fallen away, and this is something that is promised to the last age. Let me show you. Your age, Revelation 3.21, to him that overcometh 
will I grant to sit with me in my throne as I overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. So the last age is declared throne worthy. The last age is prophesied to come in position with the throne to sit with Christ and reign. Uh, yes, I can already see some in some minds twirling as well. This is something future. For it represents our rapture. But I want to just declare to you it's not just future. It is the present condition of every Holy Ghost-filled believer. Hallelujah. Amen. As the bride, the Lamb's wife, we are to be seated with him in his throne when he rules the son of David in the millennium, certainly. But right now, we have been restored back to the same faith of the Pentecostal fathers. And this restores us back to the position the early church held before it's fallen away. Paul described it, Revelation, uh, Ephesians 2 and 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now look at the tense of the verbs. This is not something that will take place in the future. These verbs are in past tense. It doesn't say we will be seated. It says we have already been seated. When you come back to Paul's gospel, it places you exactly where they were in that day of rapture-ready church, amen, a seed church, the original grain that could have been taken in the garner, but God planted it and let it go through decay to come up again in different stages so it would come back to more grain again. Hallelujah. Thus we have returned to the original grain of Pentecost. This time not to be planted. This time to be taken in the garner. Now, this is something, as I said, don't say we will be seated. It says we are already been seen. Right. This is something that has already happened, and we who are of the new creation. Amen. To whom the people to whom? The people of the book. The people to whom the seals have been opened. Amen. To have already been given authority that is far above every enemy. Right. Hallelujah. Amen. It is, it is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that can be named, not only in this age, but the age to come. This is a restoring message. How many believes in a restoring message? Restoring the book of title and all the redemption entails. It, it brings us back to the original token. Come on now. The original experience, the original baptism of the Holy Ghost 
to the beginning once again to the new co- to the new creation that the church had at Pentecost. Amen. And that is, it's been restored gradually. Amen. Are you with me? Through Luther's justification of believing on Christ, right. to Wesley's sanctification, holiness, to Azusa's gifts of the Spirit, right. now to the fullness of his Spirit once again. Yes. Come on, this is why you're seeing a mighty angel come down. Hallelujah. Why? Because the word is coming again in its fullness. It happens in in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he sounds his message. Hallelujah. That brings us back to the original Pentecost. That's why I declare, Bell, the day of Pentecost has been typed out to the angels, but we are in the hour where the day of Pentecost has fully come. The completion of God pouring out his spirit, the fullness into the church. This is what Brother Branham taught in Christ the mystery. What God was in Christ, he pours into his church. This restoration begins, brings us to know God in his revelation of deity as the author of the new creation. Watch now our revelation of Godhead. Turn with me to Revelation 3.14. There was a revelation of Godhead to every age. And collectively, they're all in our age, but individually, this is something that is revealed to us. Notice, to the angel of the Laodiceans, write these things, saith the amen. This is going to be the final message when God puts an amen to his word. It will be also, notice the faithful and true witness Because God will witness time after time that it is him speaking through a prophet who knows your destiny, who knows your past, who knows knows your, your condition, who can repeat back conversations 40 years ago. He can, you know, all of these things are done is because, and it never fails. Somebody help me. It never fails. Not a, not a Zusa gift that misses and hits, it never fails. Somebody with me? Amen. It is the faithful and true witness speaking the beginning of the creation of God. So it brings us back to the new creation. Now, this new creation, this type of Christianity that we possess today as message believers it differs us from Methodists and Baptists or Azusa Pentecostals. It equips us for a supernatural life. Amen. And God is the one who furnishes this, this equipment. Right. I've been preaching on it. Ephesians 6:11. He said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the the cunning uh, devices of the adversary. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against world rulers of this darkness, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenlies. Is that right? Our combat is not a mental one. Neither is it a physical one. It is a spiritual combat. That's why you are getting the glimpse in Revelation 12 of what's happening at rapture time. Amen. 
And it's the time of Daniel 12 where Michael stands up, Amen. where the lamb stands up, Amen. same thing, Amen. and where the mighty angel takes his stand. Hallelujah. And when he stands up, brother, there begins to be a war in heaven to, to clear heaven from the accuser so his bride can go up. Hallelujah. Now, so it's no, it's, this is a spiritual combat, but it, it's not, now, now listen, I want you to get this because you're, you're ready to fight. You're ready to fight. You know, I'm ready to fight. But this combat is not fought by physical self-denial of the Methodist movement working to be holy. You know, I had a brother one time come preach our Labor Day meeting. He preached the whole thing, quoting from Andrew Murray's books. You know, how to live holy. You know, it's sanctification. Amen. It was sanctification. You know, you know, spending time with God, praying, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, then ask what you will. So I'm going to spend so much time abiding in the word. And I'm going to be so much on my knees every day. I'm going to be trying really hard. To, you know, I, 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 I got to do this if I'm going to be abiding in the word. That's not what abiding in the word is today. That was what they had in Wesley's day. The reason why that, that you abide in him and the word abides in you is because the Holy Ghost comes and lives in you. Come on now. Amen. It ain't you fasting. It ain't how many you're getting stars, you know, for church attendance and how long you prayed. Come on, somebody. Amen. It's not a self-denial Methodist movement working to be holy. It's not a mental struggle or an ascent to believe like justification, you know, like Luther. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to believe on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm going to believe the message of the hours through. I'm going to believe God's in a prophet. I'm going to believe, and you're trying hard, and, you know, you're born here trying to believe, trying to believe. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. This spiritual battle is not won by physical means, nor mental means, nor any kind of work that you can do. This battle, oh, hallelujah, has already been fought by Jesus and won. And we do not fight in this battle. Hallelujah. This is a faith fight. We win our battle by our recognition that it's already been fought and already been won and the price is already paid and we didn't do a thing to deserve it. We didn't work to achieve it. We just received it. We went and took the book out of the hand of the angel and we ate it and now because we've eaten it, hallelujah, we can speak it. Oh, hallelujah. I feel like I could run through a troop and leap over a wall right now. We don't pray for it. 
We don't struggle for it. We just simply look up and say, Father, the battle's been won. The lamb has taken the book. He paid a debt I could not pay. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he didn't know. But here he came down from glory and he took it and he went down to hell and he took my punishment. Oh, that's why he was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquity. The weapons I should have got and I should have got a lot of them. He took upon him and with those stripes I am delivered. 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 In a faith fight, God does it all. He conquered Satan and he put away sin. He bore our diseases. So all we got to do is thank him and enjoy it. I said as I went through some of these trials, I said, you know what? This battle is too big for me. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit back and I'm going to cheer Michael and his angels on I'm going to be on the side saying hallelujah to the Lamb. I'm going to say glory to our God. I'm going to say, amen, it's already done. Amen, because I know who's in charge of this battle. It's not me leading the charge. It's him leading the charge. It's Jehovah leading us all the way. The pillars are going by before us. He conquered Satan. He put away sin. He bore our diseases. So we just thank him for it. I'm going to sit back until my enemies have been made my footstool. We stand in this evil day when temptations come in like a flood. Oh, yes, they do. Somebody sent me a whole list of temptations. You know, the other day, I didn't need them listed. I knew them. You know, we, so there's, a, there's temptations, comes like a flood. But we, have, we stand having girded our loins with the full armor of God. Luther had a, a portion, Wesley had a portion. But you are equipped with the full truth or reality. We've come to know the reality of the finished work of Christ. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. That is, we act upon it. We use it. We confess it. Now, when, we, when the seals were open, it shows the four and twenty elders who represent the elect of all ages as ones with power and authority as kings and priests. Notice what he does. By taking the book, he hath made us kings and priests. By delivering title to us, he gave us a dominion. He gave you title, amen, a dominion over sin, dominion over demons. Come on now. You say, Brother Tim, you're way up there. Mark 16 gives you dominion over demons. Amen. In my name, you'll cast out devils. Representing me and all that I am and what I did at Calvary, you'll cast out devils. You'll speak with new tongues. You drink any deadly things. If there was ever AIDS, 
But you know, we're eating and drinking deadly things. We need some help there. It's this age. Everything is carcinogenic. Everything's full of chemicals. Everything is full of poisons. Every medicine given to help you is full of poison. Got to pray over every bit of it. Got to use some wisdom with it. Can't just swallow everything down that's handed to you. Even if it's a herb, an herb your, your neighbor passes you. Because he, he might just pass you an herb called marijuana. I went to a doctor this week, and he said, well, I, I tell you what, I can give you something very natural, <laughs> Louisiana grown, Louisiana certified, and, you know, it's very natural, and, you know, it'll make you love singing, make you happy. It'll, it'll, um, it'll, it'll take away your pain. It'll help you. You know, here it is. I can write you a prescription for it. It's legal. So, he, you know, he offers me all of that. You know, I said, well, I don't smoke. He said, oh, it's a tincture you put under your tongue. I said, man, I preached against dope all my life. I ain't starting now. So, you know, you know there again, I'm sure it's like, Opium or any other narcotic out there, you know, there's places that it can be used, and I'm not con- putting out a wholesale condemnation on anybody or anything. Because, I mean, there are things that can be channeled and used to benefit, but it has side effects. But I mean, but again, I want you to get it back as we come here for a moment. You know, that the, as I said, the opening of the seals have elevated us to a place of spiritual dominion. Notice what he says. And he made us to our God, kings and priests. So now, then he made us kings. In other words, we have, we have absolute unconditional authority over all demons. That's why we saw at our last youth camp, we saw 10 evil manifestations and every one of them lost. I know what it is to have devils talk back to you. Amen. We're in a position that is far above them. We are above even the most powerful and most high-ranking forces of evil. And, and this is ex- explicitly included in the Scripture, principalities, powers, rulers, and every name that is named. Ephesians 1.22, and he had put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So all things are under the feet of Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. The church is his body. The body, I mean, the feet are part of the body. So all things are under his feet. So all things are under his body. So all things are under his church. Amen. 
man. You say, Brother Tim, not me. I'm too little. I'm too insignificant. You, you say, Brother Branham, I'm the least of the church. I'm just a little bitty fellow. But remember, when he ascended on high, you were raised with him. You're in the body, and you're with Christ right now, seated in heavenly places. And if you're the skin on the bottom of the feet, every devil is underneath you. That's right. That's exactly right. Where the head is, the body's raised with it. And if we're buried, died, buried, risen in Christ and raised with him in his resurrection, set in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, every fire of hell is under us. No matter how little you are, every devil is under you. Why the conqueror has conquered every sin, every sickness, even death itself. And we are more than conquerors in him. Authority over devils. Authority over demons. I want you to know that's not something that we are working for. That is not something we're striving for at the evening light tabernacle. It is not something that is just limited to, to these preachers on the platform or to Brother Branham or to some great preacher, you name whoever he is. It, the, you see, it's not limited. It, let me tell you again, this place of authority is not a goal that we're trying to reach. It is a fact that is true right now. It is already so. Amen. Oh, listen, Brother Branham, let us know there's no big ones, no little ones in God. In fact, he said the least little touch of God. How many's got a touch of God in your life? Amen. That little touch of God is omnipotent. Hallelujah. Amen. That's why in Revelation 10, he said his feet was as pillars of fire. There's only one place in the Bible where he speaks of pillars of fire in the plural, and that's what came on the day of Pentecost when the pillar of fire divided itself, and 120 was filled with the pillar of fire. Every one of them got a portion of deity down on the inside of them. Hallelujah. Now listen, Brother Branham. Preachers might be gifted, but that's just a gift of the Holy Ghost. That's why you see preachers fail and say, oh, Brother Tim, oh, Brother Tim, oh, that great preacher, he failed. How could could he have the Holy Ghost? How could this be? You know, I know that man had the Holy Ghost. He had a gift. Gets in adultery, all of these things. He had a gift. Amen. That's a gift of the Holy Ghost, not the Holy Ghost. It's a gift of the Holy Ghost. Preachers are called. Did you hear that, Brother Joseph? Amen. Preachers are called. Did you hear that voice of God? Preachers are called prophets, teachers, and evangelists, pastors, and so forth. They receive the Holy Ghost and then a gift to do these things. But God doesn't have any little children, little bitty children, or great big children. They're all children to him. That's exactly right. That, and your rightly position is sitting right now in heavenly places in Christ Jesus with every power. You say, Brother Branham, I'm the least in the church. I'm just a little bitty fellow. And remember when he ascended on high, you're raised with him. You're in his body. 
and you are with Christ right now seated in heavenly places. If you're the skin on the bottom of the feet, every devil is underneath you. That's right, exactly right. The church, where the head is, the body's with it. And if we're buried, died, buried in Christ, then we're raised with him in his resurrection and set in heavenly places. Amen. With every fire of hell under under us, no matter how little you are, every devil's under you. Why? Our great conqueror has conquered every sin. Everything, every sickness, even death itself. I know I'm repeating. We're more than conquerors in him. Only thing, we're seated with him in his throne, looking to him as he looks over to the Father. That's it. It's there. Notice now, God wants us to understand something. He wants his church to know. He wants his bride to know. Around the world, let me tell you, my minister brothers, my friends, brothers in Christ, God wants us to understand every demon is under our feet. We have the authority over demons. We have the authority over sin, sickness, disease, affliction. They're all underneath your feet. Luke 10 and 19 said, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Amen. The great commission, Mark 16, 17, and these signs shall follow or accompany those that believe. In my name, they will cast out or drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Oh, how dare anyone How dare anyone to say this commission was only to the disciples or that it's somehow been revoked or that it's true that, oh, you know, it's true, Brother Tim, but it's just not the season for it. If you believe the Bible, you need to believe this. Amen, because it's in the Bible, it's true. It's the unchangeable word of God. It's true whether you realize it or not. Amen, it's true whether you practice it or not. It's true whether you believe it or not. If you choose to believe it, then you can, and you will begin to enjoy the benefits of it, and I choose to believe it. It's a free gift that comes from being born again. Amen. And every child of God sits with him in power and authority. We don't work for it. It's given to us as a gift. God gave it to us because of his great love he had for us, not because of our hard work or our holy living, but because we were in him and a part of him before the foundation of the world, and we are his bride, his beloved, and he gave it to us to sit with him, not because we deserved it, but because he made us righteous with his own righteousness. When you put your faith in Christ, being born again by an experience, there are several things happen. Let me tell you, you can't be born again without an experience. Oh, we got the Holy Ghost today and don't know it. That's impossible. That's a lie from the pits of hell. There's never in the Bible anywhere, anybody in the Bible, anybody got the Holy Ghost and didn't know it. It every time came with an experience. But anyway, when you put your faith in Christ, being born again by an experience, I don't mean tongues, I don't mean a jump, I don't mean a shout, but of the experience of meeting Christ yourself, 
Amen. Where he was personally revealed to you. Come on. Whether you shouted, jumped, danced, whatever you did, he was, it was Christ revealed to you. When, this, when you were put your faith in Christ, being born again by experience, several things happened. First, you were declared righteous. He's not going to come in the unholy temple. Amen. You were declared righteous and holy by God our Father. That's Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. These righteous ones live by faith. They have a faith sense. Amen. The ability to believe. Amen. Listen, you can righteous ones live by faith. They're not going to get faith. They got faith. They live by the faith of the Son of God who loved them and gave his life for them. They have attributes of God because they are born of God. Faith is God's attribute. Now, so they have the sense to believe. Now, they, they have a faith sense. They, and what is that sense? That's the super sense is God, the faith of God in you, the part of God that comes in you. It gives you the super sense. So you can believe what others can't believe. You can see what your sight doesn't see. You can feel what your feelings don't declare. Come on. Amen. Now, and it declares that we are righteous as Jesus is righteous. That's why Jesus was fearless. He, you know, he knew Satan had no claim on him. Amen. Just no power over him. You see, sin makes us cowards. The consciousness of sin holds us in bondage. Amen. But we're no longer a slave to sin. That was the first birth under the old creation. But in the new creation, sin has no more power. We stand fearlessly in the presence of Satan as fearlessly as Jesus did. Now, Satan makes cowards out of men. But when we realize we are professors of righteousness of God, we're the possessors of righteousness of God, we know we are God and we know we got God in us, we can stand fearlessly right in the face of Satan and command him and he's got to obey. Somebody say amen. Righteousness is the ability of God taking his possession in us. We not only stand in the presence of Satan fearlessly, but we stand before the throne, the very throne of God fearlessly and boldly because we are conscious we are his children. Hallelujah. Amen. We we are his children. When my children was young, we were in the old church. It was there in the administration building, and a lot of people would come in and fellowship in there in the, in the open area, and my door was right there for anybody close that wanted to knock on it. And, you know, I finally had to put a sign up, don't, don't disturb me, you know, while I'm in study. And if you need an appointment, well, see them in the library and so on like that. You know, but I, 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 and, and people graciously honored that, respected that. But I had one class of people in the church that didn't get paid out no attention. 
That was my children. And my children knew that was their daddy in there. And they walked in any time they wanted to come in because that's my daddy. And, I, you know, I am coming because I have a need. I want to talk to my daddy. I have a right to come to him. I know I'll be welcomed because that's my daddy. Now, I'm going to tell you, let me tell you something. I want you to understand that's how you are to come before the throne of grace. You are to come not as a stranger, not as an outcast, not as a sinner, not as a reprobate, but as the sons and daughters of God. You come boldly to the throne of grace knowing you're going to find favor in your time of need. We are to come boldly. I'm going to try to close on these. I got three minutes and 25 seconds left. 22 seconds, 21 seconds. <laughs> Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. That, come on, somebody. A great high priest. Greater than any man high priest. God became a man. That is passed into the heavens. Jesus Christ the Son of God, amen, let us hold fast our profession. In other words, let us hold fast firmly to the faith we profess. Amen. Again, Hebrews 3, 1, therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, do you share in this calling? Set your focus on Jesus it says, consider the apostle and high priest, but set your focus on Jesus, whom we confess. What do you do in the storm? What do you do in a time of trouble? What do you do when Satan there is blowing mighty with his winds and the waves are higher than this building, trying to come down on your boat? What do you do? You set your focus not on the waves, not on what the doctor's report is, not what some high authority said, but what God said. Amen. You set your focus on Jesus. Amen. Hebrews 4, 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. So let me say it again. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize and understand our weakness and temptations but one who has been tempted. Amen. Amen. Knowing exactly how it feels to be human. In every respect, yet without committing any sin, he did this. Hallelujah. So verse 16 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hallelujah. Now you see in the Old Testament, Leviticus 16, 2, he, God told Moses, speak to the, that brother Aaron that he come not nigh at all times to the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Don't you just tread on here without permission, without bringing blood. But I want you to see here in, in Hebrews 10, 19, 
It tells us 19 through 23, so I just brought this snippet out. I have them, therefore, brethren, boldness. Somebody say boldness. To enter into the holiest. Not like, not like Aaron coming in with trepidation and fearing, you know, washing and cleansing and prayers and whatever and trying to get holy and offer this sacrifice for me. Now I'm going to offer it for the people. I got to come in with bells on holy, holy, holy unto the Lord. I got to be careful how I walk. I can't come in here superficially. I can't come in without, without a certain time of the year, certain day, certain hour. Are you with me? Amen. But having therefore boldness to enter the holiness, the holiest of holies, the very presence of God by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah, Ephesians 3.12, in him and through faith in him, we enter God's presence with boldness and confidence. Romans 8.15, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Father, Father. Hallelujah, we're not coming to some foreign God, we're coming to our Father. We have received the spirit of sonship. We are born of the new creation. We are created by God himself. And Jesus has given you the power of, a, of attorney to use his name and act in his stead. I want you to know once you were born again and took on his name, it's no longer just his name. You are coming in your family name. Hallelujah. You are approaching the throne not as a, as a vagabond or a stranger, but as Miss Jesus Christ. United to him in covenant. You are the Esther that has a right to come before the king and tell what wicked Haman has been doing to you. I tell you this morning, there ought to be some sons and daughters of God go boldly before the throne for every need and say, God, you see the king. I'm appealing to you. Amen. I know I'm going to be welcomed. The blood has been shed, and I'm here as Esther to tell the king what wicked Haman has been doing to God's children. I say, Esther, go tell the king. Quit being fearful and afraid. Quit living under an old covenant. Quit living there in an unrighteous state. You are not unrighteous. You are not unholy. You have been called. You have been positioned. You have been predestinated for this hour. Esther, go in before the king. Esther, go tell your position. Esther, the Mordecai, the Holy Spirit, is calling out to a bride. Go to the king. Tell the king. What shall I do with this wicked Haman hanging on his own gallows? Hang him on his own gallows. Hang him on the very trap he set for you. Amen. Listen, friend, we're in the day of the devil's decline and the bride's rising. There's a people ascended. She is the people of the book. She's the people of the promise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet and worship God. Hallelujah. Come on, give him a praise. Take advantage of your legal right before the throne. You got the same, 
You've got the same Holy Spirit Jesus had. You have the same Holy Spirit that the apostles had. You possess his faith. It's the faith that Jesus had. Yet it's now your own faith. You have the, you have the righteousness Jesus had. Yet it's not your righteousness. It's the same righteousness. His very own life. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the I, I just feel it wheeling up in me. Hallelujah. He's here among us. He has come down. He's now speaking. He's now revealing himself. Open up your heart and receive it now in Jesus' name. Say, I accept it, Lord. I don't understand it all, but I accept it right now. I accept it. I accept it. I'm in position with you. Hey, man, I know who I am. I am who I am because I am said that's who I am. The accuser, the accuser, woman, let me talk to this bride a moment. Woman, where is your accuser? Sir, I have none. Neither do I condemn thee. We must not go back to disbelieving again. Go and sin no more. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Just raise your voice to him just a moment to say hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah. The church triumphant. A bride without spot. A people who know their God and does exploits. People who are the called, the chosen, the predestined. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The prince of this world has come and he has no part in me. His politics has no part in me. His critical race theory has no part in me. His BLM movement has no part in me. Republican, Democrat, have no part in me. Hallelujah. I'm a child of the most high God. I belong to him. And I love him. I love him. Why don't you just tell him just a moment and say, Jesus, I love you. I love you. I just love you. I believe he loves to be worshipped. I know the spirit of prophecy is here because I've been prophesying all morning. Preaching is the spirit of prophecy.
happen in this atmosphere. The level of faith is rising right now. Believers who know their position. Hallelujah. In my name, they will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues.
Ere 